Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We are going through a study or a a series answering a very basic question. The question is, what is the church? Now, it's kind of a unique question. Uh, By show of hands, uh, who has, like myself, grown up going to church the vast majority of your life? Okay? A good chunk of us, you know? A good chunk of us. And I'm glad that there's many of us who haven't, all right? But, you know, in fact, I envy you in a lot of ways um, because you don't have a lot of the religious baggage that, you know, we kind of pick up in in our journey, right, Adam? (laughs) And so uh, um, what I, it's kind of unique that we're asking this question of what is the church? What is church when, you know, we've been doing this all of our lives for some of us? I'll be 36 in a few weeks. So for almost, well, for over 36 years, because nine months in the womb, I was going to church. You know, I was, I've been doing this thing. So why are we taking time to ask this very kind of silly question of what is the church? Shouldn't we know what it is by now? Well, I'm not suggesting that you don't know what it is. In fact, some of you might have a better understanding of what the church is than, than I do. But I just know that many of us, myself especially, have years and years and years of tradition and customs that have been handed down from previous generations that have shaped our understanding of what church is, and perhaps they don't quite line up with what the Scriptures say church is. For example, quick example, uh, at the church that I used to serve at, there was an older gentleman whom I loved, uh, especially my wife. My wife loves old people. And so she, they, would just, they would just talk and talk and talk. And he would often say, jokingly at times, but he would often say, you know, Walt, this Sunday, you better get down at the altar and get those sins taken care of. Jokingly, but there was some, there was some reason as to why he thought church was a place where you get daily or weekly at least cleansing of your sins, the altar where you come forward at the end of a service and get your sins taken care of. And so there was a, there was a system, there's a thinking, at least in this guy, this gentleman, that church is where we get our sins taken care of on a weekly, monthly, however often basis. Depending on exactly what type of church you went to, maybe Catholic church or different type of church, you, you, that was a very ritualistic exercise, getting all of your sins weekly taken care of. I grew up more in, a, in the Baptist side of things, 
and it was very similar. You know, the, the saying was, bring your sins, believers, to the mercy seat today to get them forgiven so that you don't face them at the judgment seat tomorrow. And so, man, you talk about some pressure. Man, I've got to remember all my sins so I don't face them at the judgment seat tomorrow. And so church was a way to get cleansed of sins that I did this last week. Well, <clears throat> if that's our understanding of what church is, then we, we might face some uncomfortable things this morning because we're walking through a letter that we call Ephesians that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, remember the Lord Jesus saved Paul on the road to Damascus and then spent some three years with Paul in the Arabian desert revealing to Paul what this whole thing called the church is. And so if we want to kind of learn what the church is, I think Paul's a pretty good source, right? And so he wrote this letter called Ephesians that became sort of a circuit letter that went around to a bunch of churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, maybe even over into Greece at times, eventually spread, you know, worldwide. We're reading it here today in Crozet, Virginia. But the purpose of the letter was to really explain, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it was to explain what this thing called the church is. You see, we've got a few weeks before we make our move over to Henley. And I just think it's very smart for us to spend these few weeks that we have remaining here at Western, where we know it's summertime, we know people are going to be in and out, but ramping up as best as we can for our move over to Henley to really press in on what it means to be a church. And so why not spend these last few weeks here preparing for that move answering this very important question of what is the church. So Paul wrote this letter. He said um, to, to, to really clarify a lot of confusion that was happening in the first century. You see, for the first decade or so, give or take, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the only people that were a part of the church were Jews, only Jews. And so if you were a Gentile, the, the church wasn't for you. Well, then all of a sudden, come around Acts chapter 10, the church starts expanding into the Jewish areas of the, of the world, and it started bl- blowing the minds of many people. In fact, there was an entire council of Jewish Christians in Acts 15 to determine, is this okay for us to take the gospel to the Gentiles? And so Paul writes this letter because there's a lot of confusion amongst the Gentiles of what this thing is. So he gives some history. That's what we looked at a lot last week in chapter 1. He says, yes, we the Jewish people, we Israel, yes, we were chosen. We were predestined to be the first to believe in Jesus. But then he said, if you remember, but now you also. Who's the you? The Gentiles, the Ephesians. The non-Jews, a Gentile is just someone who's not a Jew. You now have heard, you've believed, now you've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and you now have our inheritance, which is God himself. And so there was a very clear um, point at which now the church is no longer Jewish only, but now it's Jew and Gentile together in one new group. And we're going to actually kind of wrap that thought up today in chapter 2. And so he explained, yes, it was Jewish only, but now it's Jew and Gentile come together. And then in the last part of the letter, he kind of explains, now this is what the church does. This is what it means practically in our day in life to be the body of Christ. 
And so we're going to jump into chapter 2, verse 1. We did chapter 1 last week. We're going to leave a lot of meat on the bone. If you're here thinking that we're going to uncover every single rock and every single piece of of Ephesians over these eight weeks, you're going to be disappointed. Um, We're just trying to answer the big question of what is the church. And and in fact, we're doing things completely differently. Usually we have one point every Sunday. It's called a journey marker. Last week we had eight points. Today we have seven. So we're we're condensing things down. We're making it a little bit shorter, okay? And here's what we're going to do. These are all, all these notes are on the, in the Bible app. If you want to go to bibleapp.lifejourneyva.com, they'll be on the screen if you want to take a picture or write them down. But it's seven statements of the church is fill in the blank, okay? So we're asking the question, what is the church? And we're going to see today seven realities of what the church is, Okay? And some of them are going to be really cool. Some of them are not going to be very comfortable because they're going to press against a lot of what we've sort of come to believe the church to be. And I'm just going to encourage you to to pick a side what the scriptures reveal or what we've become familiar with in our experience because they might not all add up. So let's go to chapter one. I mean, excuse me, chapter two, verse one. Let's make sure we know who the you is and who the we is. You, remember from last week, you, that's the, gen, the Gentiles. The we's are the Jews. We's are the first who believe in Jesus, the Jews. You, the Gentiles. And so we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, and you, you, Jew or Gentile here? Who's he talking about? Gentiles, very good. You, you Ephesians, you Gentiles, okay? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. All right. You know, these first four verses of Ephesians chapter 2, you will not find on anybody's coffee mug. You know, coffee mug verses are the ones that are really encouraging and, and, and make you feel all good and warm and fuzzy. You won't find these first four verses on anybody's coffee mug. You won't find them on a bumper sticker. You won't find them, you know, on somebody's like little lapel, right? You know, some people have a little verse on their lapel. You won't find these on theirs. These are, these, these are the best summary, though, of our condition before Christ. He says, you Gentiles, you were dead in your, in your trespasses and sins. Verse two, in which you formerly walked. And I love, you see how we have formally you know, emphasized. I love that because he's saying you formally walked in these sins. You formally walked in sins back when you were dead. And we'll get into a second where he talks about you're not dead anymore. But if you, we're smart, right? If you formally walked in sins, what do you not walk in anymore? You can say it, sins. Now, does that mean that you don't sin? Does it mean that you don't get dumb and make stupid choices at times? Of course we all do. But there's a difference between walking in sins and not walking in sin. We no longer, we formally walked in sins, but not anymore. Let's keep reading. This gets intriguing. You formally walked in these sins according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. I think that's talking about the, the devil himself. Of the spirit or of the attitude that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Okay, again, you're not going to see these on coffee mugs. You were dead. You were walking. You used to walk in sins as all of the people who are living in disobedience do. Again, this is the greatest summary of our life before Christ, dead in our sins. And you, Gentiles. Look at verse 3. Because remember, there was a lot of confusion. Is the church Jewish? Is the church Gentile? What is the church? Verse 3, he says, 
among them, the sons of disobedience, the sins, among them, we too. Now, who's the we again in these first couple of verses? Jews or Gentiles? Jews, we understand that. We too, we who first believed in Jesus, we Jews, we also formally, I love it, formally lived in the lust of our flesh. So I think what Paul is saying is that, hey, you Jews, I mean, you Gentiles, you were dead and you were walking, living in your sins. Hey, but you know what? We too. We Jews, even though we had the promises, apart from Christ, we too were dead, living in the lust of our flesh. But if it's formally, then when they're become in Christ, they're no longer living in the lust of the flesh. He says that we were in indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Even as the rest of what? The, the Gentiles. So he's saying, at the end of the day, whether you were a, a Jew by nature or by, by, by birth or Gentile by birth, we had the same exact problem. We were dead. You Jews, you Gentiles were dead. We Jews were dead. And our death was an issue of our nature. You see where it says that? And by nature, children of wrath. You see, the issue is not about behavior. The issue is nature. We can fix behavior in all sorts of cultural ways, but that doesn't fix nature. The nature of us at birth, at physical birth, is dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we can get someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins and get them to stop being so sinful. That's good. But if their nature doesn't change, then it doesn't, then it doesn't really matter. It's a nature problem. Genesis chapter 5 says that the sons of Adam were born in the image of Adam. At physical birth, we have a nature, not of God, but of Adam. And the nature is one of death. So it's a nature issue. When we're born again, we're given a new nature. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1 says that we have become partakers of the what nature? Starts with a D and ends with the divine. The divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature now upon our new birth. But not until the new birth. Until before the new birth, our nature is one of, of death. So here's the deal. You Gentiles, yeah, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. But you know what? We, we too, we're all, we were all dead. We were, you formerly lived in this stuff. We formerly walked in it. I mean, we, it's by nature. It was our nature from Adam. Verse 4. Now, here's where some good bumper stickers and coffee mugs come in, okay? Verse 4. And here's where we start into our seven answers of what is the church. Verse 4. But God being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we. Now, I think this we here is not just we Jews. I think it's we, everyone, uh, uh, Spanish, todos, all of us. When we were, we were uh, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us what? Alive. Together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. You see, and then, so the first statement 
if you want to write it down, whatever, the, the church is alive. The church, what is the church? The church is alive. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't that it takes a, Lou and I were talking about this before the service, isn't that it takes a bad person and makes them a good person. I really don't think that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that bad behavior simply becomes good behavior. I can take my kids, my three kids, and take their bad behavior and make it good behavior through a lot of different techniques. I don't have to die on a cross for bad behavior to become good behavior. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that someone who is dead becomes what? Alive. That's a whole lot harder to do than just changing behavior. Look, we have one of the greatest militaries in the world. The military can modify behavior, right? I used to be a youth pastor, and I tell you, without, without fault, the most rebellious teenagers, teenage boys, of course, most rebellious teenage boys in the youth group who you never tell them what to do, they never took instructions, this is what they chose to do with their life. Nobody's going to tell me what I'm going to do with my life. I'm joining the army. Tell me, tell me that makes some sense, right? Hey, join the army. Fantastic. But you think you're going to fly you know, pretty far with that attitude in the army? But then they go off the boot camp and they come back, they're a totally different person. Their behavior has changed. They've gone from a rebellious teenager to now, I mean, like a soldier, a young man. Jesus didn't die on the cross just for behavior to change. He died on the cross to take something that's dead and make it alive. Now, will behavior follow? Of course it will. Of course it will. But he takes what's dead and makes it. We have to understand, first and foremost, the church is alive. And it's not just any life. We have been given the very indestructible life of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 says that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we will appear with him in glory. Who is our life? Christ is our life. So we don't just have like a second chance. Hey, you know, you kind of messed up on that first life. We'll give you a second chance. No, we died and we've now been given an indestructible life. Tell me, when is Jesus going to die again? That's the life we have. The church is alive. Number two, let's hurry up a little bit faster so we get through these. Verse six, so he, he, ra- he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. Verse six, and, like that's not enough, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Number two, the church, so what is the church? The church is alive. Number two, this is crazy, the church is already in heaven. The church is in heaven already. And if you're like me, that just kind of fries some circuits, right? Because I thought, you know, good church guy. We've been going to church nine months before I was alive, or before I was born. Um, I thought that you go to heaven when you die. You know, you got the casket there, you got the preacher preaching, you know, and then, you know, off to heaven you go. But apparently that's not the way it works. Apparently that the moment at which you choose to trust Christ, your old heart is cut out, the circumcision of Christ, and a brand new creation is created. From the Spirit of God, you are now birthed a new creation, and you now reside seated where? In heaven, in Christ, in heaven, in heavenly places. 
This blows my mind. So heaven is not some place that we're longing to go to. Heaven, if you're already born again, heaven is now. That's where you live. Think about that, Charles. That's where you live right now. You are a citizen of heaven. I mean, Paul says this in Philippians, doesn't he? In in Galatians, he says that Jerusalem above is our mother. He says no longer are we from below, but we're from above. I mean, he says this all the time, but I think he really means it. I don't think they're just platitudes from the apostle. I think he's actually meaning, Chris, that you actually reside, you sit now in heaven. But we say, wait a second, I'm sitting here in Crozet. Well, yeah, we have a physical geography, but guess what? There's a spiritual geography. And we now are already in heaven. Heaven is not a place where we're hoping to get to. Heaven is a place where we are from. We are all from there. And the only thing that is admitted to heaven is that which is from heaven. And if you've been born from the Spirit of God, you've been born from heaven. We've been raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. So think about that. What if we actually started to live our lives as if we are already in heaven? Don't you think that would change the way we look at things? We are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You know, I was reading, I think, a book of Andrew Farley's, and he was talking about this, and he said, if we've been raised and seated now in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that certainly doesn't change the fact that we have circumstances all around us that just are garbage. It doesn't change the fact that cancer, that death, that disease, that, that, that sickness, that sin still lives and reigns in this world. It doesn't change that. We still go through things in this world. But this is what he asked. If we realize that we've been raised and seated with Christ and we already live and dwell in heavenly places When we look at the circumstances that we walk through, real hurts, real issues that we walk through, what is our relationship to those circumstances? We're above them. We can actually look down in scorn even, but look down upon the circumstances that we find ourselves in in this world because we have been raised and seated in the heavenly places. There's no promise that we're not going to walk through a bunch of garbage in this world. But the promise is that we are no longer of this world. And we have such a hope because of that fact. And this location is in Christ. You know, when Jesus showed up, we're going to walk through, uh, the, once we move over to Henley, we're going to walk through the life of Christ, getting to know who this Jesus is that lives in us. And in Mark chapter 1, he says some of the craziest things. He says, I am bringing the kingdom of heaven to you. Reach out and touch it. But Jesus' ministry was this invasion of the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of earth. And he, says, he said things like, the kingdom of heaven shall be within you. And so Christ now dwells in us, the new creation in us, in the reality of this new kingdom of heaven that exists just under our nose. It's where we live. It's where we're from. But so often we don't see that the church is already in heaven. We try to operate out of the flesh rather than out of the spirit. We've got to hustle on. Sorry, there's four more of these. Number three, the church shows who God really is. This is so cool. 
Keep reading in verse 7. So he raised us up. He seated us with him in the heavenly places so that, verse 7, so that there's a purpose why he's done this. So that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The church reveals, the church shows who God really is. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It shows the grace of God. It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no man should boast. Have you ever thought about God being a show-off? See, I never really thought about God being a show-off. But aren't you kind of glad he's a show-off? Because I was what? Dead. And I'm now what? Alive. And he did that to show off who he really is. You see, so many of us, maybe us, I know myself, had this idea that God is, you know, this, this impossible to please judge, this ruler, this, this, this distant, far off, you know, did I, if, I, if I just fall off out of line just one little bit, there comes a zap, you know, sort of a thing. And what he's saying is that the church is his way of showing who he really is. If you are dead and you're now alive all by this guy named God, what does that tell you about him? It tells you that, man, he is full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, full of compassion, full of forgiveness. So the fact that you, the church, are still are, are alive now instead of dead in your sins, you're now alive now in Christ, that show that tells us something about God because he didn't have to do it. So the fact of the, the fact that there even is a church, it shows us who God really is, his kindness and his love. The church shows who God really is. Number four. We'll go through these a little bit faster because there's one I really want to spend some time on later. In fact, this one we've talked about in the last couple of weeks quite a bit, so we won't hit this very heavy right now. But verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. This is the idea of, you know, the skill of a worker. I was watching a YouTube video the other day of a guy who, takes a, who took a number two pencil. Anybody ever seen this? He takes a number two pencil, he shaves the wood off, and it's just the graphite, you know, lead, you know, inner, inner part. And he takes like a scalpel, and he starts whittling the graphite you know, the, the, the lead, he starts whittling it and he cr- turns it into like Cupid with a, you know, bow and arrow. He turns it into like these different hearts, a heart inside of a heart, you know, like free, loose heart. I should have brought the video. With a number two pencil, the lead. I mean, it's tiny microscopic. You think what handiwork, what a, what a workmanship that guy has. Okay, let's multiply that out to the God of the universe, What's his workmanship like? What's the quality of God's work? Well, guess what? You are his workmanship. You have been created by him as a result of what his handiwork actually can be. Wow. So you think you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel? Well, then God must create dirty, rotten scoundrels. His handiwork is priceless. It's pristine. The church is God's great, grand design. Now, you might not feel this way. I don't feel this way most, most of the time. But it doesn't change the fact of what the church is. The church is the grand design of the God of the universe, his handiwork. Let's look on the, number, the fifth one here. So we've, we've, we've moved through for the church is alive. 
the church. Let's see, what were some of these? The church is alive. The church is in heaven already. The church shows who God really is. The church is God's grand design. Look at number five. And this one is really going to trip us up. The church is clean and close to God. The church is clean and close to God. Look at what Paul says here. Therefore, verse 11, remember that formerly you, who's you? He even says it, the what? Gentiles. We all together, we can, we can do that a little better. Therefore, remember that formerly you, you who? You the Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. It's kind of like he's a little digging at his, you know, fellow kinsmen here who are still seeing things according to the flesh rather than according to the spirit. He says, the circumcision which is performed in the flesh by fleshly human hands. He says, remember, guys, remember that you were at that time, before you were made alive together with Christ, at that time you were what? Separate. You were separate from Christ. So if you're separate from Christ, are you Close or are you far off? You're far off. When we're dead in our sins, we are separate from Christ. We are far off, eternally separated from him, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember, this was all, this was all new that this thing of the, the, the church was being extended to the Gentiles. He said, you, you, you were not a part of this Israel thing. You were strangers to the covenant and the promise, the covenants of promise. The Abrahamic covenant, the, the, the um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then David, all these covenants that God had made with Israel. It, this wasn't for you. You guys were strangers. You were aliens to all of this stuff that we read about in the Old Testament, having no hope and without God in the world. No bumper stickers for this one here either, right? This is not going to be on your coffee mug at the local Christian bookstore. But now, So you were distant. You were far off. That's what you were in Adam, far off. But now in Christ, okay, so so he's talking about after salvation, after you've been born again. Now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought what? Near. Let's say that with a little bit of like, I believe it. You who were far off have been brought near. near. And I'm so glad he doesn't stop right there because I think many of us think that we know how we're brought near. I I lived years thinking that I got nearer and nearer to God by my disciplines. The longer I had my quiet time in the morning, the more verses that I memorized, the more meetings I had with my accountability partner, the less sinning I did, the more church attendance I, I had, I thought that those equated my nearness with God. But what does he say? He says, you were brought near by your disciplines. Is that what he says? You were brought near by your church attendance during the summer, that one summer in, you know, 1985, when nobody else went to church, but you made it all five Sundays in a row. Is that how we're brought near? You were brought near because you talked to dad all the time in your prayer life. You were brought near by what? The blood 
of Jesus. The blood of Christ. I'm telling you, this might mess with us a little bit, but what is it that brings us close to God? Is it our discipline? Is it our behavior? Is it our anything? Or is it the blood of Christ? Don't take my word for it, guys. Get mad at the apostle, not at me. So we're just reading what he wrote. It's the blood of Jesus that actually fuses you to him. It's not what we can do. We can hop on that performance treadmill and run as fast as we can, as hard as we can. But here's the deal. We'll never have more cleanness and we'll never have more closeness than what we already have because of the blood of Jesus. Now, does that mean that reading your Bible and coming to the fellowship with other saints and that, you know, all those that talking to dad on a regular basis, are those things bad? Of course not. Of course not. We, we've come to fellowship this morning. We're reading the scriptures together. We've prayed several times already today. But to think that those things now equate that I am closer to God is not the gospel. The gospel is that we are brought near by the blood of Jesus. Think about if the blood of Jesus only brings you 95% near. And the other 5%, Bill, is up to you. Where do you go? If the blood of Jesus doesn't get us all the way near to God and all the way clean of all of our sins, then what else do we go to? Where else do we turn to get the other 5%? Do you see that? It's all Jesus plus nothing else. And that is scandalous to our religious thinking, our religious minds. We want to have the honor. We want to have, oh, we're definitely a little bit closer than that person or that person. But it's the blood of Jesus that makes us clean, and it's the blood of Jesus that makes us close to God. And if we are in Christ, then we have been made clean and we've been made close. Here's a thought. Why not stop trying to do what we can never do in the first place, get clean and get close, and just start trusting that Jesus has done it? I know that's weird, but why don't we just do that? It's a whole lot more fun to trust than to try. I've heard some say about this, you know, well, wait a second. Wait a second, what about like in marriage? You know, in marriage, you know, we're always forgiving each other. You know, in marriage, we're always kind of spending time to get closer with each other. You know, isn't that kind of what it is like between us and God? You know, we're, we're trying to get closer and we're trying to get, you know, forgiven and, 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 and better fellowship. Well, I mean, okay, but where is, I, I haven't been to many, I've been to several of your weddings. I haven't been to all of them, but at your wedding, was there a blood sacrifice? If so, I really want to see your album, okay? Was there a blood sacrifice, Tim, between you guys where you took all of Vicky's sins and put it onto a blood sacrifice and then slayed it and said, therefore, I can now hold no sins against you because I held them all against that? That, that didn't happen. It'd be kind of cool, but that didn't happen. But that's what we have with the God of the universe, a blood sacrifice named Jesus Christ, who took all of our sins, the sins of the world upon himself, and he bled and died, and the wrath of God was satisfied so that we can now stand before God holy and complete. And if that doesn't make you just kind of at least smile, then I don't know what else to say. The church is clean, 
and close. That doesn't mean we always make the right choices, but we're forgiven. God required blood. Jesus bled. We can just do the math and celebrate. Number six, and I got one more, and we're going we're gonna to head out. The church is clean and close with God, but the church, and it kind of goes along with that, but the church is at peace with God. The church is at peace with God. Look at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus Christ himself, is our peace. So however good Jesus is, that's how much peace we have with God. Jesus is our peace who made both groups one. What two groups? Very good. Both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, made them both one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What's this dividing wall, Paul? What are you talking about? By abolishing in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh on the cross, he abolished in his flesh the enmity. What's the enmity? What is it that kept these groups so separate from each other, which is the law? The law of commandments contained in ordinances. You see, the Jews had the law, and the law said you have to do these certain things in order to be okay with God. The Gentiles, they're like, law what? They were never invited to this. And so there was this barrier, there was this wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles called the law. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ in his death abolished that wall so that, look at this, thus, uh, so that in himself, the end of verse 15, he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man. That word new, there's actually a couple different words, little, you know, geek out in some Greek here for a second. There's a couple different words that you, they could, Paul could have used to, for the word new, but this one means that it was never in existence ever before. So if you take a penny, you know, and kind of dust it off, you know, wow, it looks new. Well, no, I mean, it's been there for a long time. But if you go to the mint and you take, you know, a metal that's never been cast and you stamp it, that's a different type of new than that penny that's been there since 1980 that was just a little dirty. He's saying this is a brand new, never having been created before, a new man. Thus establishing peace, peace between the Jew and the Gentile, because the law has been abolished. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity, the enmity, the law. No longer are we alive or, 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 or in relation to the law. The law to us has been put to death, and we now have peace with fellow Jew. But look at this, verse 17. And he came and peached, pe- preached peace to you who were far away. That's the Gentile. And he preached peace. I love that. It's the same message to those who were near. That's the Jew. For through him... Through Jesus, 18, verse 18, we both have our access. We both, one new man, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, here's the big picture. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, you Gentiles who were never a part of this thing called God and Israel and the church. This was never, no one thought this was for you. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. 
To be at peace with God means that there's nothing lacking, nothing lingering. To be at peace with God means that there's nothing hanging out left to be discovered. There's no sin of yours that God has not discovered that's hanging underneath some sort of rock, and you're out on a walk with God one day, and he says, hey, what's underneath this rock? And, oh, it's a sin that he never saw, and now he has the chance to hold it against you. Being at peace with God means that there is nothing lingering that could ever be held against your account in any sort of way. In Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31. And he says, in the new covenant, here's going to be the terms of the new covenant. I will be merciful to your iniquities and I will remember your sins, what? No more. I will remember your sins no more. In the new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. Now, the question then to me is, are we in the new covenant? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says that we have been made adequate as ministers of the new covenant. Not the old covenant. We're ministers of the new covenant. We're in the new covenant. This is ours. And so God says, in the new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. We're in the new covenant. And so this question dawned on me yesterday. I put it on Facebook. What is the last thing on God's mind right now? our sins, and our lawless deeds. What is the last thing on God's mind if he says, I remember your sins, Brandon. I remember your sins, Rachel. I remember your sins no more. That kind of messes with us, doesn't it? Because they're the first thing on our mind when we think about God, aren't they? I'm just saying maybe we should just believe that we're at peace. The church is at peace with God. Jesus Christ is our peace. Now, did God just wink at our sins? Did he say, oh, man, that is a lot of sin, and, you know, I'm just going to give you a, you know, I'm just going to let it slide? No. He took all of our sins, and he exercised his wrath against our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I used to think as a kid that God was really angry in the Old Testament, and then kind of as he got older, you know, how it happens in life, you kind of get a little bit, you know, more relaxed and more kind of, you know, gracious, you know, so now in the New Covenant, God's a little bit nicer. No, something huge happened between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's called the death of Jesus. And so now the full mercy and the grace of God is able to be extended to all. Here's the last thing. This is crazy to me. I wish we had more time to talk about it. But number seven. So number six, we're at peace with God. The church is at peace with God. Number seven, the church is as okay as Jesus. Let me explain what that means in a second. But the church is as okay as Jesus. So how okay is Jesus? I think I even knew that one growing up. Man, he's pretty okay, right? Right? Well, the church is as okay as Jesus. Let's, let's see what this, verse 20, okay? I'm telling you, we're leaving a lot of meat on this thing. Check it out for yourself. But look at verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, so this church is being built on the foundation of the prophets and the, and the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, I'm not in construction. Jamie is. Matt is. Some of you guys are. Uh, the other Matt as well. You know, I don't know if you still use, if anybody still uses cornerstones today. But the con- here's the concept. Back in the day, when they would build a building, the very first brick, the very first block that was set is the most important block. They probably spent more time getting the very first block set exactly square than they spent any other block in the entire building. 
because they would set each subsequent block off of that first cornerstone. So if the cornerstone was off a little bit, guess what's going to happen 20 feet, you know, down the wall? The whole thing's going to be off by like not just a couple inches, but like a couple feet. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that there's a cornerstone. There's something new being built. And Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. And we, keep going, in whom the whole building being built Fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, who's that? The Gentiles. The Gentiles are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So just as there was a physical temple with a physical cornerstone and all of the blocks All the stones that were built off of that initial cornerstone, what the apostle is saying is there's a whole new building. And this isn't one of brick and mortar, but this is where you, the church, you are now living stones. You have now been placed just as those blocks off of the original cornerstone in the temple, you know, the temple in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus Christ, that was just a picture. Jesus Christ is actually now the cornerstone, and you are being fitted in accordance with him. And so however square he is, however true he is, however holy, however righteous, however pure, however noble, however good he is, well, guess what? You are being fitted right next to him in accordance with however square he is. And then the next person and the next person. So we, the church, are as okay as Jesus is because we are being fitted to him. Does that make sense? The church is as okay as Jesus is. Now, the question is, is how, how okay is Jesus? All right? You got those Doobie Brother fans out there, right? You know? Younger kids, just ask your parents, you know. He's just all right. You are the living stones. The living stones were the very dwelling of God now. Each one of us fitted to Christ. So what is the church? In chapter 2, we've seen some pretty dynamic answers, some things that kind of might fly in the face of our you know, our, our thinking, our, our upbringing, our 2,000 years of church history. You know, there was a point in time in church history when the, the, the people were not even permitted to touch the bread or to drink the wine because the clergy thought that if they touch it, they might drop it, they might spill it, they might, they might, they might. You know, is that what we're hearing from the apostles here? No, we're hearing from the apostle that the church is alive, that the church is in heaven already, that the church is as okay as Jesus is. So what is the church? Here's the big bombshell. You are the church. You are the church. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have come to the realization that your sins have left you dead and you need a Savior and you have said, Jesus, I need you. You are the church. You have died with Christ, and you have been raised a whole new creation. You are the church. That means that you are alive. You might feel like you're just kind of trying to, you're just kind of floating through life, just trying to get by. But the truth is that the very same life of Christ, the very life of Christ actually is your life. Your life, Rachel. Your life, Brandon. 
It's your life pulsating in your spirit. You say, I don't feel it that often. Well, I didn't say it's a feeling thing. It's a fact. You are alive. You are in heaven already. You say, well, I'm in Crozet. Listen, we've got to open our eyes and see a whole other world has invaded this world. You remember what Jesus said to Pilate? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, you'd see angels, you'd see soldiers, but my kingdom is of another realm. And that's where we live, in the kingdom of heaven already. You show who God really is. You know, if your story is anything like mine, God showed off in saving you, for you deserved it not. And he said, you know, Jamie, though you are dead in your sins, I'm going to make you alive because of who I am. And think about what that says about God, Arlene. God says, you were dead, sister, but I, because who I am, I'm going to make you alive. You show who God really is. He's not impossible to please judge. He is merciful and kind, overflowing with compassion. Number four, you are God's grand design. Again, you might not feel it. And I'm not saying look at the flesh here. I'm saying look at the reality of what, who you are in Christ. God's grand design. You, whether you feel it or not, are clean. You say, well, Walt, I did some sinning yesterday, you know, and you're going to do some sinning tomorrow. Here's a, here's a solution for your sinning. Stop. Stop. But your sinning does not make you dirty because God, through the portals of, of time, saw all of your sin and put it all on his son, and he has forgiven you. You are forgiven. You are clean. So stop it. Why would you want to continue in something you've died to? We all do. We all mess up. I do. Let's stop it. And realize just how clean and close we actually are. You're not closer to God because you came to church this morning. You're not closer to God because you did less sinning today. You're close to God by the B-L-O-O-D of Jesus Christ. You are at peace with God. You know those times when you feel such shame and such guilt and you're like, God is the last person I want to talk to right now because I might like get that little like lightning bolt thing, you know? Did, did you have that lightning bolt thing growing up too? Like maybe that's just my mama, I don't know. But you have that little lightning bolt thing, you know? Listen, you are at peace with God. No lightning bolts. Jesus received the lightning bolt, if you will, so that you would not. And you, yeah, you, even David, are as okay as Jesus because you were set off of his cornerstone. So however true and right he is, that's however true and right you is. Let's stand and pray. Father, we come before you a little perhaps overwhelmed, perhaps a little confused, perhaps a little refreshed, perhaps a little anxious. I don't know. But Father, this is life. Father, you have placed within all of your children the seed of life, Christ Jesus himself. And I pray, Father, that as we just discover, just by simply reading the scriptures, as we just discover who we already are, I pray, Father, that it would resonate deep in our soul, 
There's no clever teaching. There's no clever oration. It's just reading the scriptures and saying, you know what? I'm going to choose to believe it. I'm going to choose to believe that I'm as okay as Jesus. I'm going to choose to believe that I'm alive, that I'm in heaven already, that I am clean and close, that I'm your handiwork. I'm going to choose to believe it. We might not see it. We might see the flesh and the things of this world. But God, what pleases you is those who live by faith. And so, Father, our feelings, our, our thoughts are telling us something else. There's a, there's a radio station saying, you can't be this good. You can't be this righteous. You can't be what Ephesians, this must be somebody else. You're, you're not this good. You're not this holy. You're not, you're not, you're not. And I just pray, Father, that we would tune in to your spirit. Tune out the distraction. Tune out the world. Tune out the enemy. Tune out even our own conscience. Because there's a greater voice revealing to us who we truly are. As okay as Jesus. And all of this is by grace. May we not walk out of this room thinking that we achieved this whatsoever. All we did was just be honest enough to say, wow, I need that. So, Father, if there's anyone here who has not yet come to trust Jesus, I pray they do. It's your plan. It's your desire. Father, we thank you for this morning. As we sing this final song in Christ alone, help us, Father, to see even better, to sense even deeper what we now have in Christ. Amen. Amen. I hope it's encouraging. We're just seeing what the church is, and we've got a couple more chapters. So it gets, it gets, even, it gets even better, if, if, believe it or not, from what we saw here in chapter 2. If you think about it, answer this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how close are you to God this morning? You're an 11. That's exactly right. You're an 11. You don't feel it. Sure. But when has following, following our feelings really ever gotten us in a good place? Right? On a scale of 1 to 10, you're an 11, all by grace. To that, we just say, wow, and thank you. Have a great week. Don't forget to sign up uh, for uh, the Crozet Independence Day celebration to serve in that. You can do that online, cidc.lifejourneyva.com. And uh, shake a hand. Tell somebody you love them, especially if you haven't seen somebody in a while. Love you guys. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. 
If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.